Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. That word in temptation is the same word as trials in verse uh, 2. Blessed is the man who endures trials. For when he has been approved, the word approved means proven out, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one likes sailing through rough waters, but it's the trials and tribulations in our lives that strengthen our faith and encourage others around us to overcome. It is the trials and how we tackle them that God uses to make us perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Even in the dark times, God is good. With James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12, and more on overcoming trials and temptations, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we want to thank you again for your word. We thank you for your work. We thank you that you use trials to produce maturity in us. And we pray that that would be the case, that our trials would not just be wasted as those who don't know you, who don't follow you, or as those who don't allow that perfection to be worked out in them. We want to be submissive to you. We want to surrender to you. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would touch us, challenge us, encourage us, strengthen us as we turn to your word tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. It has been said that the medal of a soldier is not proven in a time of peace. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? You don't know what kind of a soldier a man is during peacetime. It is only in the midst of battle, it is only in the midst of war that it is revealed whether or not he is a good soldier. It has also been said that you can't tell the worthiness of a vessel on calm water, but that the vessel is only found to be worthy in the midst of a storm. It is the first rough water that a vessel faces that you go, let's see if this thing is storm worthy now. It is proven out that it makes its way through the storm. And the faith of a Christian is proven by the trials. You cannot tell whether or not the faith of a Christian is genuine and strong in the easy times. It is the difficult times. It is the hard times. It is the trials that we face that prove those things. When we started looking at this text last week, I talked to you about the trial that Lisa had gone through. From the time that she found out that there was something in her lung and immediately knew it was cancer, by the way. I don't know if she thought a lot of things were cancer, though. So when she had cancer, it was cancer. And from that time that she found that it had been cancer until the time that she went to be with the Lord, her faith was proven. If you would have asked me a couple of years before, if your wife was to get lung cancer and die from it, how would she handle it? I would have said, not good. But she proved me wrong. Her faith was proven in the midst of that struggle. She faced that with strength and with courage, and her faith was proven. There was peace in the midst of it, and there was joy, and she allowed God to do his perfect work as she submitted to it. She came to the place much earlier than I did that God was going to take her. We remember we had had her really basically, the, all proof of the disease had been removed. 
for about a year, maybe 10 months, really. And um, when it came back, I stuck to my guns for longer. I said, no, God's going to heal you. I, I thought, God, what glory to your name, you know? This is a case of cancer that is stage four, that you would heal her and let her life extend, and it would bring glory to your name. And, and I thought God was going to do it. And about two weeks before she died, she sat me down, and she said, I think God's going to take me. And I said, no, no. And she said, no, I think God's going to take me. There was a strange peace in the midst of all of that. And so much so that at times I told her, I just feel at peace. And at one point she said to me, that's always before bad news. <laughs> that just wasn't her pessimistic side coming out. It was really true. God gave us a peace before we would hear the bad news. And even in those last few days, even when the pain was bad, even when things were hard, even when we were increasing the pain and we'd gone into hospice, there was a joy, an atmosphere that was something that is, is very difficult for me to describe. She did good. I would have thought she would do bad, but she did good. And on the day that I go and be with the Lord, I want to do as well. But I want to talk to you a little bit tonight. I want to look at this passage a little bit, not through her trial. I did that last week, but through my trial. Because my trial started when we found out that she had cancer. I, I told her the whole time, we are going through this together. I, I would say, when are we going to start radiation? When are we going to start chemo? And she would say, we are going to start it. She'd give me the date. She'd emphasize the we because she was saying, it's me and not you. And I would say, oh, no, I'm in this with you. We're going through this together. But really, the truth was, she was facing this trial on her own. And I would have gladly, and every husband and wife here will understand this, I would have gladly have traded places. I prayed to trade places, right? Some of you guys told me, you prayed, let me get it and not her. The trial that I faced got more difficult after she had died. The peace that we found in the midst of that trial, the joy in that atmosphere was suddenly gone. And now in the trial that I was facing, in looking at life with its loneliness and missing my wife, which really, you know what, I can take loneliness, but missing her, just that, that, that trial that I faced, now there wasn't that peace and now there wasn't that atmosphere of joy. It's one of the reasons that I began to teach again after two weeks. I don't know whether that was a good thing or a bad thing, by the way, to come back so early. But what was I going to do? What was I going to hang out for months, three, four months at, at home? There are a couple studies that I gave that were tough. A couple weeks afterwards, we were in Exodus, remember, and we talked about God leading the children of Israel into a trap by the Red Sea. And I found myself at home before I came to teach that study saying, why do you do that? And then coming and teaching it and saying, God, I'm really struggling with this teaching. I'm really having trouble with it because I don't understand it. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand why you're doing it. The struggle that I have gone through has been a testing of me, approving of me, approving of my faith. Lisa's faith was proven, and I am now in the midst of my faith being proven. And so as I've read these passages the last couple of weeks, I found myself reading them saying, I understand that. I really want that. I want my faith to be proved through the trial that I go through. Look at verse 12. It says, and this is the word, the same word, 
uh, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now you go to 12 and it says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. That word in temptation is the same word as trials in verse uh, 2. Blessed is the man who endures trials. For when he has been approved, the word approved means proven out. He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The love that we have is proved out in the trials that we face and that we go through. God uses the trials to prove it out in our lives. Now, in these verses, I find a few things that help us to face trials. The first one is attitude, mister. Right? Verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. I've got to tell you that that's a hard one for me. It's hard for me to go, I am joyous, my wife is not with me anymore. But I'll tell you where I do find the joy. I, I find the joy here with you guys. I find it when I'm talking with people after a service. I find it with my grandchildren. I find it with my kids. There is a joy that I find. I find that God can overcome the sorrow and, and bring joy. I also find still a lot of difficulty with the, with the sorrow that's there. But I find myself saying to him, okay, Lord, here I am in the middle of my trial and I want to consider it joy. And maybe one day I will. Maybe one day I will. Maybe I'll realize that Lisa had the better part than me. Two brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee. Right? The sons of thunder, Jesus called them. Because they wanted to call fire down from a village that rejected Jesus. They were, let's burn it up. Jesus said, you don't know of what spirit you are, sons of thunder. Gave them a little nickname. They were in the inner circle. Everywhere Jesus went, they went. The Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. The Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, James, and John. To the little girl, Tabitha Kumi, that he rose from the dead, Peter, James, and John. Uh, other places. They, they were the inner circle. But after Jesus died and rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples and ascended up into heaven, James was arrested. And Peter. And the Bible simply says there in the book of Acts, and J uh, James was killed with the sword. And Peter, you remember, is rescued from prison. God sends an angel, and Peter actually thinks he's like in a dream. And he gets up and he follows the angel out, and then he realizes this is really happening. And he goes to the house where they're praying for him. And when they knock on the door and it says it's Peter, they say it's his ghost. Great faith of the people of God praying that he would be delivered. And God delivers them and they think it's a ghost at the door instead of Peter. Why was Peter delivered and why was James killed? Even more so, why? Because they were the inner circle. Why would God take James and leave John? John would go on to write Revelation, the book of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. John would go on as in his old age to pastor the church at Ephesus where he would be called the old guy. That was his nickname, the elder, because he was the youngest of the disciples, but as time had gone on, he'd gotten old. Couldn't God have used James the same way he used John? And what did Jesus mean when he said to James and John when they asked their mother really, can my son sit on your right and left side in the kingdom? They're good boys. And he said, can they be baptized in what I'm baptized in? They said, we can. James died not long after Jesus died, and he was. But so was John, boiled in oil. 
right, and survived, and then exiled to the island of Patmos. Which one of them had the better spot? Maybe when we get to heaven, we'll go, oh, it was James, not John. We felt sorry for James. We should have felt sorry for John. Who knows? Who knows why God does what he does? In, in Hebrews chapter 11, it gives a list of these people that subdued kingdoms and worked righteousness. And, and, and in their weakness, they were made strong. And then it says, and others were destitute and lived in caves, were tortured and sawn in half. Men the world wasn't worthy of. See, some people say, well, if bad things happen to you, it's because you don't have enough faith or because you got sin in your life or you made a bad decision. But that's not what that passage says. That passage says the world wasn't worthy of these people. If anything, it was the other way around. The world wasn't worthy of them and they never received the promises. Why do some of them work miracles and work righteousness and in weakness become strong and some of them are destitute and in deserts and sawn in half? I don't know. But God does those things, different things with different people. And there are temptations that we face. And we are to consider it joy because of something we know. The second thing I see is knowledge. Knowing, verse 3, that the testing of your faith produces patience. God's at work. God wants to do something through the trial. I don't know what God wants to do through this trial. I don't know why God couldn't have done it in some other way but I want God to be glorified in it. I want God to do the work in me. I want the depth in my life because of what God is taking me through. And we should want that in the middle of our trials. If the first is attitude, mister, and the second is knowledge, the third is submission. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. The word perfect there means mature. And in secular sources, it's used to speak of animals who are mature. Mature animals and Christians. That's what the word is used for, for perfect. See, did you notice the first part? But let patience have its perfect work. Some in trials don't let patience have its perfect work. Some in trials don't submit to God. You are, are at a loss. You turn away from God. You don't know what to do. The trial hasn't proved your faith. The trial has proved that your faith is lacking. And what do you do if you faced a trial? Maybe an awful trial, like me, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a wife, the loss of a family. Maybe it wasn't a death. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was unfaithfulness. Maybe it was a trial that shook you to the very core and you left God. You walked away. You walked to alcohol. You walked to whatever it was away from God. Then that means that your faith wasn't proved. It proved that there was a weakness in your faith. The trial that you faced turned into a temptation. And you gave in to that temptation when you walked away. What do you do now? You come and reestablish your faith. You come to him with a solid faith. And you trust in him. And in submission, you let God do his perfect work. Attitude, mister, knowledge, verse three, submission, verse four, wisdom, verse five. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. If you say, I don't know how to face this divorce or I don't know how to face unfaithfulness, I don't know how to face the loss of a spouse, I don't know how to face the loss of a child, then ask God for wisdom who gives to all men liberally, it says, and without reproach, and it will be given to him. I don't normally do this, but last Wednesday night, we really dived into that verse. 
and the Holy Spirit really moved. And if you weren't here, then go online and listen on, on, on our webpage or download the podcast. Listen to it while you're driving. I really think God did something special there with really causing us to desire God's wisdom. The Bible says wisdom is to be, be desired more than gold and silver. More than any money is wisdom. And God gives it liberally. But not only do we need wisdom and to ask God, but we need faith. Verse six, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the waves of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And let no man suppose that he will receive anything from God. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. It's not that it's just a doubt, oh, God's not gonna give me wisdom. It's a life that is not lived for God. You turn away, you turn to the world. You turn to the things of the world. You turn away from God and you are unstable in all of your ways. You are tossed to and fro and you will not receive anything with God. It's the person in the middle of the trial that turns to God and says, Lord, I don't know where to turn. I don't know where to go. I don't know that I can handle this. I need you. And it's that person that receives from God. God's there to strengthen you. How do you make it through a trial? By staying close to Jesus. Getting as close to Jesus as you can. Horatio Spafford. There's a name for you, isn't it? You looking for a name for your baby? <laughs> you guys are coming up with all kinds of strange names, I'll tell you that. But it'll probably be common. It'll be so normal when these kids are older. I always think, man, that child with that name, wow. But all of them are going to have weird names, so it's just going to be normal. You're not going to have a Robert or a Steve or in those, you know, if the Lord tarries for that many years. Horatio Spafford. Hymn writer, it is well with my soul. When sorrows like sea billows roll. His family had taken a trip, and I can't remember if it was to England or back from England. I think it was back, if I remember correctly. And he had had his family go before him. He lived in the late 1800s, by the way. Uh, his family had gone before him, and he lost his wife and children in the storm. When he finally got in his boat to go to the United States, he asked the captain, bring me up when we get to the longitude and latitude of where the this, this ship sank and my wife and children died. And as he stood up on that deck and he overlooked the area where his family had perished, God gave him those words. It is well with my soul. Wow. He knew what it was like when sorrows like sea billows roll. He watched those, those swells slamming against that boat. And he said, that's what I'm going through. Sorrows like sea billows are swelling in my life. But it is well with my soul. You remember in the last stanza of that song, he talks about Jesus coming back again into, into the future. It is well God's working. You don't get to the point where you say, it is well with my soul by turning to the world, by being tossed to and fro. You get to the place where you can say to God, it is well with my soul. You have done this. I have lost my family and it is well with my soul because I trust you, because I love you, because I'll make it through this trial. And that's what we need to do in the midst of trials. That's the way we get from A to B. That's the way we get through the trials. That's the way our faith as a Christian is proven. By trusting in God, not by turning to this world 
and all the things that this world has to offer you, which in the end won't get you through it. It goes on now and talks about humility. It's really a contrast between those who are humble and those who are rich and trials. In other words, verse 9 says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in humiliation. He now, in the midst of trials, compares the two. And in essence, he's saying, whether you are poor or whether you are rich, you are going to face trials. And your poverty or your riches are not going to help you in your trials. And those of you that are impoverished, you are going to be lifted up one day. You'll make it into heaven. God will lift you up. He came to the poor. He came to preach the gospel to those who are poor. Not just poor in spirit, but poor financially. That's what this is talking about. It's a contrast and comparison. But those of you who are rich, you think that your money can save you from your trials. It it can't. It won't do anything to rescue you from your trials. In fact, those who have money seem to be the most miserable among us. If you believe the tabloids anyway, right? Now, whenever I say that, that the the richest among us are the most miserable, the whole room shakes their head. Yep, yep, it's true. Miserable rich people, Uh (laughs) uh-huh. But then we also say to God, but I'd like to be the person that's, that's rich and not miserable. I, I want to be the proof that, that you can be rich and not be miserable, Lord. Let that be me. In a way, though, we've already hit the lottery when we think about the poverty that's around the world and where we were born or live in the United States, right? And we would probably fall into the category of the rich rather than the poor in this passage. We, you might say, speak for yourself. But I think it's the case. Okay, I think that we really do fall into that category. It says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. No amount of money is going to stop that. There's a guy who uh, had bumper crops, remember? And he said to himself, I'm going to build bigger barn and sit back and take my ease and rest. And Jesus said, you fool. For today, your life is required of you. Jesus also said, what will a man give for his soul? Everything. Give the world for his soul, right? Everything. Your money can't stop you from facing trials or not passing away. Verse 11, for no sooner has the sun risen and the burning heat than it withers the grass and the flower fails. And it is, its beautiful appearance perishes. Think about springtime in Arizona. How long do we have wildflowers? Not long, right? They pop up on the road for a few weeks and then the sun bakes them. That's the idea. Later on, he's going to say, he has a lot to say to the rich, by the way. James does. But later on, he's going to say, our lives are like a vapor. They are here one moment and they are gone the next. That's why we can't play games. That's why we can't say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and and be a a waves tossed to and fro by my trials. No, no sooner will the sun rise and our lives are burned away. And finally, verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Note the word endure. You've got to make it through. The word temptation there again is the same word for trials. Blessed is the man who endures trials. Blessed is the man who endures trials? Not necessarily blessed in the midst of it, but blessed is the man who endures it. You got to come out the other side. You got to be the soldier who had your medal proven in battle, or the ship that faced the storm, or the faith that is proven. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.